Well, good evening. We welcome everyone to our worship period tonight, and you might want to take your Bibles and go ahead over to the book of Titus to chapter 3 as we begin our study. I do want to say just a few words of thanks to the elders of the congregation and to Edwin and to uh, Kurt and Michelle for their great hospitality this week, and we won't leave out Abby or Emma. They were super nice to us, and we appreciate that uh, very much. We have greatly enjoyed the opportunity to come together and to study from God's Word with one another, and we want to continue in that study tonight, shifting gears just a little bit. Most of the lessons we've been looking at have been focused on the deeds that an individual will perform. Because we're at all different places in our spiritual maturity, we're all at different places in our spiritual strength to engage in some of these good deeds, but we want to just kind of close things uh, for my part of this series this evening with the idea of a church that is zealous for good deeds. What is it that characterizes us as God's people when we assemble together so that we can be a congregation that would be filling out this command in every way that is scripturally appropriate? I think it's important for us to think about really wanting that, really desiring that, and then how we go about it. So what we're doing tonight is just look at five things that a congregation that is zealous for good deeds desires the things that you really want, and then five things that a congregation who is zealous for good deeds does with one another. So we have to start with these desires because so many times in life, knowing what we desire and then knowing what it takes to get there are two different things. Most of us desire a nice and a comfortable retirement one day. But boy, knowing that that requires some saving and some planning and some self-restraint, that's a whole different ball of wax from that image of relaxing at the cabin or relaxing on the beach that we may have of, of our retirement that we so desire. So let's think about these desires and let's think about how we put those in action as a congregation. When you want five things, one of the first things you have to desire is to desire to be exhorted towards good deeds. Here in Titus, in chapter 3 and in verse 8, the Bible says this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Do you want an evangelist that regularly speaks confidently in encouraging you and in exhorting you towards engaging in Good deeds. Because, see, it may be that already, just after four days of studying this, you're thinking, I can't wait until I don't hear that phrase, good deeds, anymore. I'm saturated with the word, good deeds. Let me tell you, by the end of October, you're going to be saturated with the word, good deeds. The shortcoming, when I preached these series of lessons down in Florida when I was preaching, was that we talked about it for a whole month. And at the end of the month, we were so saturated, we had been so thoroughly exhorted towards good deeds, that we were really ready for a break. <laughs> we didn't want to hear any more about that good deeds stuff for a good while. Think for a moment about the different terms that Paul uses in the context of good deeds when he talks to Titus and Timothy about their preaching. Here in Titus 3, in verse 8, speaking on these things, speaking confidently, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he says, talks about instructing them in good deeds. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, remind them to be ready for good deeds. In 3 verse 8, it was speak confidently. In 3 verse 14, they must learn. 
We're not going to learn about these things and we're not going to be reminded of these things unless we are exhorted towards this. So a church that is zealous for good deeds wants some more sermons about this. And you know that there are some sermons you want to hear, right? I mean, everybody wants to hear sermons about heaven. But that's where we're going. That's where our hope lies. We want to hear sermons about the Lord's Supper because we all want to do a better job focusing in on Christ's sacrifice. We want to hear sermons about our families because we all have family. We want to build our relationship with them. You've got to add good deeds to your list if you really want to be a church that's zealous for good deeds. But there's more to our desire than just the preaching. We also want to be equipped for good deeds. We'll reference again 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and consider for just a moment that all Scripture is capable of making the man of God adequate and equipped for every good work. When we're studying from the Scriptures, yes, we're learning the plan of salvation. and Yes, we're learning about the local organization of the church. But brethren, this is our blueprint for being equipped in good deeds. Brother Cavender back over Murfreesboro says, equipped just means encourage qualities undeveloped in people. E-Q-U-I-P. And that's what the Scriptures are able to do for us if we're zealous for good deeds. We're encouraging qualities that are yet undeveloped in people. And the elders are going to be helping you. And the evangelists and the Bible class teachers are trying to do that when they study the Scriptures with you. Encourage these qualities that are not yet developed. And there are some people that say, oh, well, you know, Philip, we can't get too much into that equipping stuff as a church, you know, because if we think about equipping men to preach the gospel, we are not a seminary school. Or if we think about equipping our Bible class teachers, we're not giving people a degree in education. Brethren, that's not what I mean at all. Look what the verse says in verse 17 again, that we're going to be equipped for every good deed through what? Verse 16, through the Scriptures. I don't expect you to equip your Bible class teachers in the same way that you would be equipped to teach a high school class with a four-year teaching certificate or teaching degree. We will learn how to teach, not by looking at the latest pop psychology. We learn how to teach by looking at the master teacher, by looking at the different methods Jesus used, by looking at the way he connected with people and the way he imparted truth into their heart. We can do some teacher training seminars as a congregation, but they're not going to look like the same kind of seminar you would sign up for at a local university. We're equipped from the Scriptures, from everything that the Bible shows us. And we have to embrace that idea of becoming more equipped, of learning how to do things that we don't currently know how to do. I was telling that principal to a group of high school students, and they said, well, Philip, that's easy for you to say. You like preaching. You know, we're kind of nervous when we get up there, but you like doing that. What are you going to do, Philip, that gets you out of your comfort zone? And what are you going to learn so that you can serve in a greater capacity? And I said, all right. When I leave singing, my hands tingle, my ears go to sleep, my jawbone begins to tingle, my knees sometimes shake, and I often cannot sing the next song after I sit down. But I'll leave singing. Because I need to be encouraging these qualities that are undeveloped in Philip. And we need to look to the Scriptures when we're wanting to be more equipped for good deeds. Then we go a little step deeper. It's being preached to us. And then we're embracing what's being preached from the Scriptures so that we learn how to serve God. But then we need to be engaged in good deeds. 
I hope that getting engaged was one of the happiest days of your life if you are a married person. It certainly was for us. Just we had balloons and flowers and the ring, and she said yes, and oh, it was wonderful. But what does the Bible mean in uh, Titus chapter 3 and verse 14 when it says we need to be engaged in good deeds? The Scripture says our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet these pressing needs so they will not be unfruitful. You're going to have to get somebody smarter than me if you want me to pronounce the Greek word correctly. But what I can tell you is that it's a compound word. And the first half, P-R-O, the pro, just means to stand before. It's kind of like our word to proceed something, that it comes in front of. It stands before. And the second half of this word is the idea of continuing in something, abiding in something. So if you are someone who is engaged in good deeds, then you are abiding in front of that deed. Let's put that in a practical circumstance. Think about someone that works on an assembly line. What is their job? Their job is to stand on the line in front of their responsibility and keep doing that widget or whatever it is they do. And they just stand there constantly, faithfully doing their part in this assembly. If we're engaged in good deeds, it doesn't mean we're on the break room. If we're engaged in good deeds, it doesn't mean we're going to get around to that eventually. It means we are standing before good deeds. That we, every day when we get up and we walk out of our homes, we see there's something in front of us that we can do either, either as a good deed towards God or as a good deed towards our brethren or as a good deed towards those in our community or in our family. We just know that today I'm standing in front of something that I need to be engaging myself in. But there's another interesting meaning that this uh, Greek word has in the New Testament. There are about six different times it's used. Romans 12, verse 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. 1 Timothy 3, verse 4 and 5. 1 Timothy 3, verse 12. 1 Timothy 5, 17. And again here in Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. And every one of these passages are in the context, in one way or another, of leadership. And what you understand about this Greek word is that this engagement has the idea of the diligence and the oversight and the direction and the instruction so that you are really effective in what you're doing. Let's take that example of being engaged as a married couple. When you get engaged, you're declaring to the world, me and this person are stepping out of our family to start a new family. And we are taking our relationship to a step further in our commitment. And we're taking some responsibility in our lives. And we're going to be moving this family forward. When we're engaged in good deeds, then we're taking that step forward. We're making that commitment to be fully given to these things. That we're going to be setting the pace for others. So just think about this for a moment. If Christians, by God's command, are to be zealous in good deeds, then shouldn't we be setting the pace? Who should be out doing this in good deeds if God has already called us to be zealous for good deeds? So as a congregation, we want to be engaged in these good deeds. We want to be always ready to stand before them and ready to be leaders where other people are saying, whoa. And let me tell you, I don't know much about the theology of that church over there in Franklin, but those people are hard workers. Well, I don't know much about the, what they teach there, but I'd like to know more because I can tell those people love their neighbor. You're so engaged in good deeds, you have so much zeal for them that others can recognize that leadership aspect 
of your good deeds. A congregation that wants to be zealous for good deeds wants to reach that level of commitment. There's a fourth thing, though. They want to be encouraged in good deeds. And this is only fitting because, let me tell you, if you have to listen to me and Evelyn preach on uh, exhorting you to good deeds all the time, and then you realize that you've been equipped and you start giving yourself to those deeds, you're going to be tired. And if you've been engaged in them and you're constantly standing before it and every day you're looking at how you can be a leader in good deeds, you're going to need a pat on the back. You're going to need some encouragement. And it is beautiful that God has designed our assemblies with one another to provide that kind of encouragement. Take your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 10. And let's not just talk about forsaking the assembly. Let's talk about the amazing blessings of being part of the assembly. Let's back up to verse 19. Brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, since we have great priests over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. When you're feeling worn down and you're feeling weak from exerting yourself, being engaged in good deeds, it's the people you're sitting with right now that God has assigned the task of giving you some encouragement. And then you need to remember that that road runs both ways. When you look around and you see your brothers and your sisters giving themselves wholeheartedly towards zeal and good deeds, you need to be encouraging them. Look at it again in verse 25. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Please be an encouragement to one another. Please continue to lift one another up so that they can be energized once again for the good deeds that God has prescribed. This is not the kind of encouragement that's puffing up. This is that kind of encouragement that's building up. That true edification that's not self-gloating, it's not self-exaltation. It's looking out at others and trying to build them up and push them along on the road to success. And then we would see a fifth thing, that a church that is zealous for good deeds wants to be exalted in those good deeds. Take your Bibles over to Revelation. This is, man, this is just awesome. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 19, we've got God speaking to the church in Thyatira. And verse 19 says, I know your deeds, and your love, and faith, and service, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. So many people think, man, when I first became a Christian, I was zealous. When I first became a Christian, I had lots of good deeds that I was involved in. I was signing up to prepare communion, or I was signing up to teach a Bible class, or I was telling all my friends, and my deeds at first were some of my best deeds. Jesus says, actually... Your deeds of late, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, your deeds of late, they're even greater than those of first. And then he goes on and he does have some correction for them in verse 20 and 21. 
He comes on down to verse 24. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. If they are sound in their teaching, and if they have the kind of good deeds, the kind of love and faith and perseverance that Jesus has seen in them in verse 19, then guess what? They've reached their goal for the kind of congregation He expects them to be. What do you expect the church at Franklin to be? Do you have a number in mind for attendance? Do you have a location in mind? Do you think we need to get rid of this building and build a bigger one somewhere else? Do you have a number of elders or a number of deacons? What do you have in mind? Because what Jesus has in mind for His church, here in Revelation chapter 2, is a church whose deeds are greater today than they were when they began. Who is sound in their faith and is sound in their love, is sound in their perseverance, is sound in their teaching, and then He doesn't have anything else to press them on, just that they would excel still more, that they would continue on in the things that have already been done. Now that is amazing. Wouldn't you love for Jesus to be able to say about the church that meets here in Franklin, verse 24, I place no other burden on you. You're doing a great job because your deeds of late are greater than your deeds at first. We need to desire all five of these traits, to be exhorted, equipped, engaged, encouraged, and ultimately exalted, not in the eyes of man, but exalted in the way that Jesus would evaluate us and be pleased with the fruit that we're producing. Don't get burnt out. Don't think, oh, I don't want to hear that phrase for the next six months. Be driven towards the scriptural model and keep this burning desire for this kind of exhortation, and then get busy. Because a church that is zealous for good deeds does not take all of this wonderful watering and then sit on it. A church that is zealous for good deeds takes action. We talked about a lot Sunday morning, the importance of meditating on God's good deeds. And I would draw you back here again. Come to Psalm 77. Psalm 77 is just a beautiful passage reminding us of the ongoing necessity to pause and meditate on God's good deeds. i got to tell you a personal pet peeve in worship services. I just get so frustrated when people have thrown together at the last minute their Scripture reading. And when we pause in our service to have a Scripture reading, and we are going to hear the words of God... I hate it when you can see the person just flipping through their Bible and they say, oh, I'll just read something from Proverbs. Or, oh, I'll, I'll just read something from Psalms because that's all good stuff. And they haven't really put any thought into their Scripture reading. Please make your Scripture reading. If you don't know what else to do, a reading that focuses us on God's good deeds. And there's plenty of that in Psalms and in Proverbs. Focus on that opportunity to share God's Word. Because when we meditate on God's Word, it makes an abundant difference. Verse 11 and 12 of Psalm 77 say, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and amuse on your deeds. Does that describe you? 
Are you someone that is trying to meditate on, to remember the good deeds of God, the wonders of old that He has performed? In your Scripture reading, you may be able to help the congregation be a church zealous for good deeds by helping them think about God's wonders. In your songs that you pick out, song leaders, look at those lyrics. See if those lyrics really match up with this idea of reminding us of the amazing things that God has done. When we think about the topics we choose for our Bible classes, how often are we rushing into topics that give us an answer to a controversy, and then how often are we rushing to the topics where we just meditate on God's good deeds? Let us make time for this meditation in our daily life, but also when we worship and work together as a congregation. If you would come over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 11, you can see that it is our foundation. Once again, we think about chapter 2, man, this is all the first. This is the first time that Peter is preaching this message about Jesus being resurrected. This is the first time people are getting baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. There's a bunch of firsts, but what's it built on? Chapter 2, verse 11 gives us some of the names of the locations that people had come from. And they said, we hear them in our own tongues, speaking of, what's your Bible say? Speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Before he introduced this message about Jesus Christ, before he told them about these Old Testament prophecies from Joel or from David, he was warming up the crowd, speaking about the good deeds of God. And I think that the things that he mentions from Joel, the things that he mentions from David, certainly fall into that category. But it isn't it amazing that the Spirit would inspire Luke to describe them this way. What is it that their preaching consisted of? It consisted of these good deeds of God. Because if we're not meditating on them, we're missing out on that rock that we could be built on. In Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 12, we're reminded of how dangerous it is if we neglect this kind of meditation. That's why with the 30-day card, I just wanted to get a scripture in every single day so that you would be meditating on God's good deeds. In chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, Their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp, by tambourine and flute, and by wine, but they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the work of His hand. He says they're distracting themselves and they're entertaining themselves with everything, every kind of music, every kind of drink. But the thing that they're leaving out is assembling as God's people to think about His deeds. Our assemblies need to be times where we are drawn to consider God's good deeds and to meditate on them carefully. The second thing that we're going to absolutely do as a congregation is we're only going to participate in activities and good deeds that are authorized by God. Because the plain and simple truth is we do not have time to participate in unauthorized activities. God has shown us so many good deeds for us to do as a congregation that we just don't have the resources or the man hours to waste on things that we think might be good or on things that the world would say is an activity that a church should be engaged in. I will never forget driving down uh, 1960 on the north side of Houston with Brother Curtis Pope and he looks and he points at this sign on a congregation's building and it says, Resume Help Available, Sunday at whatever time. And he said, Philip, 
is it a good deed to help people with their resume? I said, sure it is. I actually had a class on resume development uh, at MTSU, and there have been several times I've been able to meet with Christians one-on-one -on -one and help them with their resume. I said, is that a good deed? I said, sure it is. Is it, is it the work of the church? Did Jesus Christ die to build his church so that we could do resume development? And I said, well, of course not. And he said, you see, there's so many good deeds people can do individually. But if the church is doing unauthorized activities, who's going to preach the gospel? If the church is doing unauthorized activities, who's going to take care of the things that only the church can do? And that only the church can do well. We've got to treasure the authority of the Scriptures. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, he says, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Too many religious organizations in this country, in this day and age, are burdening themselves with the social activities and with the uh, business and career-oriented activities of the world that they're wasting time they could be spending in spreading the gospel. If we will participate in authorized activities, we'll see that God has given us a very, very long list. We've got a lot of work in evangelism to be doing. We've got a lot of brethren around the world that are suffering and that are hurting and that could use some benevolence. We've got a lot of Bible topics that need to be taught on. How great is the need for teaching on what marriage is all about and what love is all about? How great is the need teaching on what financial stewardship God has described? How great is the need on teaching that God created the heavens and the earth? We have so many authorized activities to participate in. We just don't have time for the others. We've got so many souls to reach. So much good news to declare that we must give ourselves wholly to it. A third thing that we have to do as a congregation is that we've got to stimulate one another towards good deeds. Again, if I can take you back to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 and verse 25, I want to pull out an often overread couple of words here. Verse 24, let us consider. So put your thinking cap on. Think about this. Figure out how you're going to do it. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love. And for all practical purposes, a lot of congregations might as well put a period right there. Because they stimulate one another to love and they do it very well. Man, there are handshakes, there are hugs, there are potlucks, there are get-togethers. There are so many great activities where you can just tell, man, that congregation, they love each other. They love God. But brethren, verse 24 does not end there. We're not just considering how to stimulate one another towards love. We are considering how to stimulate one another towards love and good deeds. To get stirred up. I need to take a poll here. Have you ever visited or attended or had your membership at a congregation that had a bulletin board somewhere in the building and they put up the letters of the men that they were supporting, either locally or overseas? You ever seen one of those bulletin Yeah, we've all seen those bulletin boards so that we can read up on what's going on and we can know about the good deeds that are currently being done. Have you ever been in a congregation that had a bulletin board dedicated to the good deeds yet to be done? To all of the letters that the elders receive on a regular basis of men that are asking for support 
that the congregation is already fully committed in their budget, but they just post them up there and say, we can't meet this need, but we'd like to stimulate you towards it. All the various good deeds that it's appropriate for us to participate in. Have you ever been somewhere where that kind of stimulation was taking place? He says for us to consider how to do this. And my challenge to you as I get ready to leave you this week is for you to do it over the next month. You get together. You think about how can you at Franklin Church of Christ stimulate one another as well towards good deeds as you already do towards love. Because I've been impressed with the love in this congregation. I've been impressed with the kindness that has been shown to our family. And I'm hearing good things about good deeds. But as a congregation, are you meeting your fullest potential in stimulating one another towards good deeds? Put your thinking caps on, as he says here in verse 24. Consider how you can do this to your fullness. And I'll give you two good ways to get started, two little hints. And it has a lot to do with how I am stimulated and stirred up to take the trash out at home. Because sometimes, if you're like me, you get home and the trash can is this beautiful heat. And you can see that everyone in the family has delicately been sitting one more thing in order to avoid being the one that actually has to scoop the bag up and take it out. And there will be times I'm stimulated because Tracy will think, this, uh, this is not going to fit, sweetheart. What is she doing? She is increasing my awareness of the need. As you look to stimulate one another, think about how can you increase your awareness. I don't believe that bulletin boards are the end-all, be-all solution to this issue. But that's just one way that you might increase your awareness of the deeds that still need to be done, not just the ones that have already been undertaken. And then... She's made it quite clear what needs to happen. My awareness has been raised. I scoop it up, take it out, drop it in. And you know what usually happens? I get a kiss on the cheek when I get back in. Thanks, honey, for taking care of that. And we just covered in our first slide the encouragement that Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 is emphasizing. That when you're stimulating one another towards good deeds and you're increasing that awareness so that all the members know about the opportunities that are available in the church and and are available in the community for them to participate in, when those good deeds get done, then I hope you communicate that God is pleased by those good deeds. I hope you thank them for the leadership that they may be exercising and helping other people engage in those good deeds. Let's stimulate one another with that encouragement and with that increased awareness. The third thing you're going to have to do if you really want to take this job seriously and be a church zealous for good deeds, is you're going to have to learn how to delegate responsibility. One person, five people, ten people cannot do it all. We are all too familiar in the workplace with what we've nicknamed the 80-20 rule, where 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. We feel like we have a good workplace environment if it's just the opposite. If 80% of the people are doing 80%, of the work. Man, we think we're on to something. Let me tell you, the 80-20 rule should never describe God's family. God has called 100% of the body of Christ to be zealously engaged in 100% of the work that needs to be done. When we look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 3, the Bible tells us, Brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer 
and to the ministry of the Word. The apostles could not do everything alone. Not with all of their experience, not with all of their one-on-one training with Jesus, not even with their ability to perform miracles could they do everything on their own. What makes us think that our elders and our deacons and our evangelists can do everything on their own? Not going to happen. Things need to be delegated. Things need to be passed around so that everyone is able to be drawn into the body, so that everyone gets involved. And I know that that's beginning to happen here, and I just encourage you to continue in that so that people are not overburdened. As the apostles here were avoiding getting overburdened, they needed time for prayer. They needed time for proclaiming God's Word. And when all the hands and the feet and the ears and the eyes of this local body are involved, then we can carry this load collectively. And the fourth thing tonight is that we must communicate God's glory. I hope that you will make 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 your anthem in every good deed that you participate in. So that whether you eat, or whether you drink, or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. Whatever good deed you engage yourself in, whatever way you seek to encourage others in their good deeds, you do it all to the glory of God. We've just said that over and over again because it's so important. Because it's so easy for Satan to tempt us otherwise, for Satan to tempt us for this to be about me or to be about you or to be to our glory. That is not the point. We want it to be to God's glory. Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 20 and 21 really reemphasize this idea. Verse 20 says, The God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equipped you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. When you're equipped by God through Jesus Christ, then the glory goes back to Jesus Christ. We are not trying to serve with our own strength or out of our own wisdom. We are trying to serve as those that have been redeemed and have been made anew in Jesus Christ. If we can want these five things, and if we can do these five things, we're going to be a church that is zealous for good deeds. And I've enjoyed our time together. I think you do want to be exhorted. I think you do want to be equipped. I think you do want to be engaged and encouraged and exalted so that you can meditate, so that you can participate and stimulate and delegate and communicate. But before we close tonight, I want to take you to Acts 22. And we'll have to look one more time at one of the most amazing good deeds that's ever performed, and that's the good deed of God in extending salvation. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Ananias makes the idea of baptism crystal clear in his word choice. If I told you I was getting ready to do laundry, you would know that I was not going to wash the car, I was not going to wash the dog, I was not going to wash the baby. If I said I was going to do laundry, you'd know I was washing clothes. Because that's a word that we have in the English language that specifically describes that type of washing. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Ananias says to Peter, Why do you delay? Get up and be baptized 
and wash away your sins, calling on His name. Have you ever thought about that word, wash? It is a very specific Greek word. It means two specific things. Number one, it means washing away so as to remove something. This is not just kind of giving the baby a little spit bath. This is a scrubbing. This is trying to get something off. And he specifically tells us what that's going to be. Wash away your sins. Literally, wash away your offenses. Everything that has offended God that is on your record and on your soul, you need that removed. You need a washing that can purify. But then there's another neat thing about this Greek word for wash. They had various Greek words to describe the extent to something, the extent to which something was washed. It could be, you know, just spritzed off or it could have something poured on it. But this is the Greek word that means submerging something in its washing. So he is saying, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized. Be immersed. What is this immersion going to do? It's going to wash away your offenses. It's going to separate those offenses from you. And it takes place when you are fully immersed. And we want you to consider whether or not you've ever had that exact washing that the Bible prescribes. Because there are a lot of different things a lot of different people teach about baptism in the world today. And we don't want you to be deceived through someone's mistake. The Bible says, wash away your sins, calling on His name. And we extend that opportunity tonight to let God wash those sins away. To let Him remove them from your record and from your soul that you can be created new in Jesus Christ. And that you can be a part of His church and live every day as one that He has redeemed, that He has purified, that He has taken possession of, that you would be zealous for good deeds. Won't you please make that choice tonight by coming forward while we stand together and while we sing the song selected.